The power of the universe is at your full disposal. This is the PowerShell Podcast. PowerShell Podcast. So simple, yet so complex. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. The power of our future. Without further ado, please help me in welcoming Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey everybody, welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm uh, host Jordan Hammond with other additional host as well, Andrew Plaw. And today we have special guest uh, Jan Hendrik Peters. Hopefully, I, I got your name right. I, I think in Germany the J is the is the English white noise, but I never remember these things. Yep, nailed it. That's absolutely right. I now speak two languages. Uh, you were saying before we started recording that you're based in Germany. Oh yeah, I am. Um, I'm living between Düsseldorf and Cologne, so two major city hubs. A bit on the countryside, though. Awesome. That's the best way to go. Like living in the city is so hectic. Country, country yeah. living where you're close enough to a city. That's that's the dream. I mean, the problem is that we had four power outages just uh, just last year, oh. so <laughs> it's not <laughs> ideal to work from home. I, I suppose. I suppose. Although that's just uh, mandatory vacation. Is what that is. Did you right. and did you end up going to PSCon for you? Uh, no, I was in Scotland the entire month on vacation, actually. So this just was not uh, a good fit this time. But I will definitely be going the next years. Did you have a good vacation? Oh yes, Scotland, Scotland sounds like a great trade-off. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always wanted to uh, visit the distilleries there. I'm a, I've got my wall of scotch behind me. Very nice. Mine is unfortunately at home. All right, so uh, I guess we should say you are a customer engineer for Microsoft in or Microsoft Germany. Is what you do. So yeah. is that, uh, I guess, is that a customer face like you help customers when they break something catastrophically, or I guess, what do you do for Microsoft? Yeah, precisely. That's part of it. Um, another part is education. So I do deliver a lot of workshops. I'm delivering one this week, for example. And um, of course, in the meantime, our titles have changed. So I'm not a customer engineer anymore, but a cloud solution architect engineering. Um, it's basically the same thing, but different taxonomy, I guess. So um, mainly I help customers operate um, Microsoft products. And um, my specialty is, of course, PowerShell and desired state configuration, which is where I uh, tend to steer my customers toward using more DSC, Azure guest configuration, or machine configuration, as it's now called, all that stuff. Earlier this year, when the DSC went into open source, was that exciting times for you, or are you already just so involved in it that the no change for you? Well, you know, um, the issue is that most of my customers are in the public sector, so they will not be able to make much use of all the good stuff that is coming around. It will take some time. I'm very excited, of course, uh, to see all the new and um, shiny stuff. Uh, but mainly, my work consists of using the old desired state configuration LCM with Windows PowerShell, so there's still some time to go. And you said that a part of your job is delivering workshops. So I guess these are like large customers with with people internally who they need to have trained, and then Microsoft kind of yeah. has you as a specialist. Um, how has that process been? Were you uh, training people before working at Microsoft? And how long have you been kind of in that role now? Not really. So before I was... Um working for Aldi, an international uh, food grocer. Um, I guess some of the viewers might know. And um, I did deliver some internal trainings there, but I really found my passion for these workshops when I started at Microsoft. And Raimund was actually the one who referred me and who was my mentor for the first couple of years. So um, the other colleague who is working with me on Automated Lab. And um, yeah, he helped me discover my, my passion for PowerShell at at Aldi, I think my very first PowerShell workshop was with him. And ever since then, I've been delivering these workshops, I guess, at least once a month. They're usually like a, a full week. Uh, yeah. So the PowerShell Foundations course is uh, lasting four days, and the advanced courses usually take place for three days. And um, we either do them as open workshops for multiple customers or as closed workshops, mainly on site um, with larger customers, of course. Interesting. So you're paid by Microsoft to educate people in things, including PowerShell and how to kind of take advantage of it in their environments. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Very cool job to have. <laughs> yeah. 
That's so awesome. Because it's not my only job, but um, yeah. I like to do it a lot and things just turn out to, to support that. When you're giving these uh, workshops, do you find like that the people you're teaching have those moments when it kind of like clicks for them and you can kind of see like, oh, wow, they're kind of getting it. Do you, you get to experience them kind of go through their journey yeah. throughout the week as you teach them? Yeah, that's always a great moment. On the first day, we usually bombard them with object-oriented programming. And I mean, on the first day, this is um, very hard, especially for, for IT administrators who never really um, found their way into programming. And um, <clears throat> being able to see them apply what they learned a couple of days later when it comes to pipeline or um, basically generating their own objects or uh, creating functions and have their own output, it's just great. And it does happen. So it's uh, not those rare occurrences. It actually does happen. So do you find like someone that's going in blank slate has an easier time learning like the value of object oriented or is it someone who's been using something like bash and is all string related where then they see the object oriented and it's like, oh, this is way better, I guess. Mm, it's hard to answer. Uh, usually people who um, have worked with bash for a long time are a bit wary of PowerShell. At least that's my experience. Um, but they also do grow to like PowerShell um, because, I mean, working with objects has its clear benefits. It might be a bit um, harder to learn or to pick up, but it definitely is a lot more flexible. And at least for me, it's easier to work with than with just with text. And um, people with a clean slate, depending on what they learned before, do have an um, easier time because they are not so set in their ways. I think that one thing that we commonly come back to is PowerShell is a great first language. Um, you Ooh, know, yeah. There's a lot of things into it that make it quite nice to teach you a lot of those kind of programming principles. Yeah, exactly. And you, I mean, you can do anything with it, really. You have the full .NET framework at your fingertips, and uh, it's just a joy to work with. If I had an idea recently that I'm not sure how to dive into where I want to be able to run PowerShell as like the anti-authority local system. But then with that, I want to be able to mimic the logged on user. So I can run as logged on user context, but still have admin uh, actions when I'm doing it. I don't know if it's possible, but it's, it's something that uh, I've been kicking around. I think it'd be awesome if you could. It's, mm. it's kind of what uh, PS Exec does, but I'd be doing it with PowerShell. Well, to be honest, it sounds a little bit like just enough administration on a Windows system, right? So you would create a remoting endpoint and then basically do local remoting to that endpoint. Um, having some elevated access, which you can at least um, narrow down with with some some fitting roles. So that might be an interesting option to explore. Yeah, I'll see. I'll see if it goes anywhere. I'm not. Uh, I'm not real hopeful because mm -hmm. I started. To, I ended up having to look into uh, different .NET classes that aren't there, and and that's uh, that's new territory for me. So I'm ex I'm going to be learning <laughs> in a new area. Is how it's going to work. Yeah, I mean, that's always fun, learning new stuff. Yeah. When you push yourself kind of into territory you're not as familiar with and kind of let yourself be confused for a bit and don't give up, I, I love those moments. The kind of things you learn um, and getting comfortable with that process is very enjoyable. Yeah. I was thrown uh, in the deep end, really, when I started at Microsoft because I was uh, expected to learn about cloud computing all of a sudden, which is something that I never did before that. So uh, yeah, that was really challenging, but it was also very rewarding. Do you find that um, the culture at Microsoft, maybe maybe there's a lot of people kind of always learning. Do you think that that kind of made it a little bit easier? Yeah, it's very conducive. I think we do have all the knowledge available in the world for us to, to peruse. And um, I think that's just a great opportunity to learn. It's really easy to, to start uh, learning something here at Microsoft, which I think is a huge bonus. Absolutely. That's, we always talk about how learning is kind of one of those skills that you're going to use for the rest of your career and really in any career in anything. So yeah. getting better at learning and kind of refining that process for you and understanding it more is going to pay off dividends. Yeah, big time. Now, um, we kind of briefly mentioned the topic of automated lab. Um, but kind of what is the high-level description? What is this automated lab? I guess the name kind of maybe gives us a hint as to what it is, but how would you describe yeah. it? Automated lab is basically a lab deployment framework for infrastructure labs. So anytime you need to, for example, 
test some new application that you're not familiar with, some new product maybe, or if you want to do some troubleshooting but not really tear down the whole production infrastructure, it's always good to have a lab on hand. And Automated Lab makes this process very easy and repeatable, um, not only in Hyper-V but also on Azure. So it's really your choice of uh, hypervisor and operating system. Um, Automated Lab as the uh, or uses Windows mainly as the target operating system. So we can deploy really anything that Microsoft has um, published over the last couple of years. And we also include Linux uh, systems in our lab. They can be domain joined and are ready to use essentially for your well lab work. So wow. is it kind of like a Microsoft focused Docker? At that point, because kind of, I know Docker is where you spend a lot of that, only full full operating systems instead of the containerized ones. Well, to some degree, it is a little bit comparable. Um, but the main focus on Docker is, I guess, containerized applications. This is not uh, something that we aim for with Automated Lab, at least. But we do want reproducible labs that we can um, tear down and recreate at any time, much like you would do with desired state configuration. But um, yeah. That's the gist of it, I would say. That sounds like a pretty awesome, but broad use case. Um, to kind of oh, narrow yeah. this down, how could someone early on in their careers, maybe they're trying to learn technologies for the first time, maybe they don't have any other access, how could they make use of Automated Lab? Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, automated Lab does make it easy for users who are not familiar with technologies to just spin up a lab. So for example, if you want to learn a little bit more about SharePoint, for example, you are standing in front of a new SharePoint environment, have no idea where to turn, and you need to migrate that stuff to Microsoft 365 for some reason. Um, then it would be nice to just have a SharePoint environment ready for you to go, or a SQL environment, or I don't know, just a domain, some PKI, PKI infrastructure with as little configuration as possible. Automated Lab actually does that for you. So you just specify, I want this machine to be a domain controller. I want this domain to be a root certification authority. And there you go. No additional settings necessary. Automated Lab does configure the roles with a sane configuration that um, can be used straight after the deployment. That sounds very, very useful. Um, I remember. <clears throat> several times in my career. Uh, oh, hey, we're doing this thing. Uh, you want to test out this new feature? Set up a lab. And it's like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'll use my lab. And I'll, I'll go to open up the lab that I set up six months ago, last time I was inspired. And, oh, the networking doesn't work. Or, oh, crap, I accidentally deleted that drive. Oh, I really shouldn't have done that. But I needed that space for those videos. And then all yep. of a sudden, I have to go through the whole process again and remind myself and make the same mistakes that I've made before. Um, but it sounds like with something like Automated Lab, you can get started setting up a quick little environment to check out uh, SharePoint, like you said. Yep. And you can save that file and recreate it in the future. Absolutely. And um, if you want, you can, of course, customize the, the entire lab environment. There are plenty of options to customize each and every role. Um, but you do get to get started right out of, the, out of the box. The only thing that you do need is to download the operating system ISOs, as well as any products that might be necessary. For example, SQL Server, um, SharePoint, Configuration Manager, and stuff like that. Other than that, built-in roles and features can just be well deployed and configured automatically for you in just three or four lines of code. And the whole thing doesn't take very long. So a domain with a single domain joint machine, for example, takes roughly 10 to 15 minutes, depending on your machine. And I think for someone really early on in their careers, that's a great start to have just a separate environment to just kind of play around with. That can be your baseline. And if you want to create more complex things for given stuff you're trying to learn, awesome. Um, but for me, I find like a lot of times if I want to test something real quick and just burn it all down, that sounds like a great mm -hmm. environment to kind of do that in. Yep. 10 to 15 minutes, yeah. Uh, we do have a very large environment that we are publishing in the DSC community on GitHub. Um, the DSC workshop, which contains a lot of different roles. There is an Azure DevOps server um, with its accompanying database, um, a certification authority, routing, a domain controller, a hypervisor, and a couple of um, virtual machines, I think web servers and file servers. All of this, the entire lab, which is quite big, I think ooh, 14 to 18 machines in total, uh, it spins up in about two hours with all the customizations on my machine. I do have to say that my machine is 
rather powerful. So the experience may vary for for other people, but in general, if you have decent hardware, um, especially uh, decent disks, that should be no problem at all. This is probably better suited for an SSD, you'd oh, yeah. say? <laughs> yeah. That's what we recommend anyways. I did use Automated Lab in the past with HDDs, and it was just, um, well, not very nice to to use. It did work. It just took forever. Yeah, I, I really wish. I'm just thinking of all the time I've lost and just kind of just laughing at myself. Um, but I, I think that you were mentioning earlier that you actually use this in the wild with your career to help like if a customer is experiencing something you yep. don't have a million environments available you can spin something up or how do you use this when dealing with customers so for example when we at microsoft are um, on site for a customer customers just ask us anything really because we are working for microsoft we are supposed to know everything about every product which is of course insane but this is just how it works so if people ask me about their random um, DFS issues, distributed file system. Um, I can just spin up a lab, test everything, how replication works, um, if there is some special setting in their specific configuration that I need to uh, consider, and then just tear it down again after I've uh, sufficiently reproduced or retraced uh, the issue that they might be having. And for me, the, bone, the, the, the really good feature is that um, I don't have to know the product by, by heart. So, my customers have issues with Exchange. I will just add an Exchange server to my lab, deploy it, have a look if I can retrace their steps. And if I can, perfect. I can actually help them. Um, it does not happen a lot uh, that I do have to use SharePoint or Exchange, but uh, I would be able to just spin up a lab and have a look at their troubles. I was going to use it for, I was trying to track down an issue I've seen like, in my own environment. Could I do something where I'd copy like my group policy setup and everything? So when I build up the lab, it simulates as close to my environment as possible where I'm still not messing with production when it comes to track it down? Yeah, that should be possible. So the lab would basically mimic your environment. The only thing that you would do after the installation is actually import your uh, group policy exports. Uh, automated lab does surface a couple of commandlets to interact with the lab. So you don't have to remember any credentials, for example. Um, you can just use our commandlets like invoke lab command or copy lab file item, uh, lab item to interact with the machines, install software, import things, and configure it to your, to your heart's content, really. Automated lab, of course, can take snapshots. I mean, these are just virtual machines. So you could also um, stage your, your, uh, your lab script a little bit to include some snapshots at various points in time um, to turn back to. Do you find security researchers using this or like people trying to learn security or, or creating intentionally, you know, maybe disabling some recommended policies and, you know, interacting with it to figure out how it would be exploited and get a better understanding that way? That would be cool. I know of one colleague of mine who did use this um, for some security related labs. I think they were playing around with uh, Mimikatz, but from our user base, I don't really know if that is, um, a scenario. At least no one added this to our list of scenarios, which would have been interesting to see, actually. Yeah, I could imagine um, it could be used for that if someone wanted to, right? Since you can kind of configure it, they could enable some or disable some things and yeah. look into that. Cool. Exactly. And uh, with the way that Automated Lab works, it's also pretty easy to, um, for example, connect it to um, different networks, even on-premises ones. So if you are actually trying to mimic things like um, routing in between, which can be faulty, or if you want to configure a hybrid lab, which connects your on-premises environment to Azure to test out things like Azure Arc, for example, or guest configuration, um, Automated Lab is also a great help. And I think with security in mind, this can be also a great asset. Definitely. I, I think that we kind of mentioned a little bit someone earlier on in their career. It's great for personal testing. But if you're ready to bring this to your business and to kind of, okay, let's see what we can replicate. Let's get kind of when things go wrong in our environment, if we don't already have a lab environment, let's see what we can do here and, and kind of use what you've learned about automated lab to actually kind of add some value at work and improve the way that you do things. Because I imagine there's a lot of people out there without test environments. 
mm. I think. Yeah, I um, was surprised that there are customers that don't have dedicated test environments as well, uh, which struck me as odd because, I mean, you cannot always test in production. That's always a great idea. Yeah. But I guess that's but, how it is. I mean, if nothing you have is valuable, I guess, but I have to assume <laughs> if they're in business, there's value somewhere. Yeah. I think it's a sign of a mature organization if they're able to have that. Um, I can imagine how it would be hard to kind of keep a lab environment running with not enough time or funding or yep. interest and the culture kind of behind it. Yeah, exactly. Um, with automated lab, I mean, there's also the possibility to use it in a built-in release pipeline as well. You don't want to spin up or if you don't want to maintain an entire test environment, you could at least uh, use this for example, for integration testing, which is something that we currently are developing for our for ourselves for our own module because um regret regrettably automated lab is not fully tested with each release so Raymond and i do test it ourselves in our different environments run through all the different scenarios but we do would like to get this automated as well i mean it's understandable we are working with powershell at least so um yeah but i've used this in uh, in build and release pipelines for example for my customer or one of my customers i should say they packaged their uh, config manager packages with the PS deployment toolkit and um, use automated lab to spin up a test environment to install their packages in and afterwards tear it down. And um, once they tested their packages using Pesta, they just retrieved the test results, published them in Azure DevOps in their case, and have someone sign off on the whole process. It takes them a good couple of hours to test all their packages, but um, automated lab helps here. <laughs> Wow. Can I break that down just to make sure I'm understanding it properly? Oh, yeah. So I guess step one, they set up automated lab lab environment. Step two, they install a bunch of applications and, and kind of boom, boom, this whatever they're testing. Step three, they run some pester, which I guess checks for the installed applications, returns some information about that. Then it publishes those so they don't have to log into the whatever kind of thing is orchestrating this and they can just view it in whatever tool and yep. then clean it up and you're good if the tests pass you kind of keep going with your life yep that's about it um wow. the automation that is in place is azure pipelines and it triggers the um, lab deployment afterwards the packages are pushed to the lab machines installed tested the results are retrieved the machines are then um well scrapped again and the whole process is done very cool. Yeah. I, I think that that kind of general process could be reapplied to other things, not just testing applications, but maybe some other stuff in your environment. You can kind of borrow that and, and use that. Um, oh, yeah. I think so that would be quite the value add if you could do something like that in, in an environment where you didn't really have any lab testing. And if you could be the one to kind of help start that, that would be quite the impact. Yeah, I guess so. It's, um, I mean, it is going to be or involve a good amount of effort, but I think it's worth it in the end because having a good and stable build process and release process is really, um, really a great thing to have. I think this might be a big part of it that you might not realize, but like for me, when I do my testing, I'm, I am not very mature. So I was doing testing where I was making uh, test schedules with a PowerShell because I was doing a, a presentation on that. And now I log into different computer uh, machines in my lab and I'll, I'll log in and all of a sudden I'll just start kicking off hundreds of YouTube videos and I got to go and, and close it off. So now my system is, is corrupted because everything that I did when I'm testing it, I built it as a joke. And now the joke because the joke's on me. It's always it's impacting me, no one else. So I got to have just a fresh one every time. That sounds nice. Yeah, happened to me as well in the past. So um, I was delivering a workshop a couple of years ago and demonstrated how scheduled tasks in PowerShell work. And lo and behold, um, my shutdown task uh, hit me on the next day, <laughs> right in the middle of presentation, uh, uh, presenting. And uh, yeah, I learned from that that I should use my own labs as well. I think uh, you've you got uh, someone who will be adopting this shortly because my lab is becoming quickly unusable every time I go in there. Add another joke. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm definitely going to be playing around with this quite a bit. 
Um, I remember, and I've actually dabbled in the past, to be honest, uh, full disclosure audience, <laughs> but I remember back in the day, I used to see Jason Helmick really champion, championing this. Um, what was his involvement back in the day, if, if you recall? Automated Lab? Ooh, I don't recall, to be honest. Yeah, it was quite a while ago. Um, mm. So I started working days. on Automated Lab, I think, in 2017, shortly after I joined Microsoft. And the only uh, two people I've known who work with Automated Lab and created it for the meta were Raymond uh, Andre and Per Pedersen. Uh, per has, I don't think, contributed to the project for quite some time now, but he did lay the groundwork together with, with Raymond um, for this module. Very cool. I think I might have misspoke. I think he might have worked on another uh, thing back in the day, a different lab type thing using PowerShell. Oh, that's possible. Um, there are a couple of solutions out there. But it, it sounds like uh, kind of like as part of your job, you've determined at Microsoft that this is a valuable tool. And it sounds like you're able to dedicate some time to supporting it. Um, or is that all volunteer yeah. time? Well, that is mainly volunteer time, to be honest. Um, there is the occasional customer who actually lets me contribute back to uh, this project and uh, actually lets me bill hours if they have some very specific requests. But mostly, this is just our private uh, fun project on the site. Of course, with the added benefit that um, we learn a lot doing this, and we can um, take a lot of it back to our customers and help them um, well, hit the ground running. So you said 2016 you got started with it? Uh, 2017. 2016, I started at Microsoft. And I think okay. very early on in 2017, I started um, contributing and maintaining Automated Lab. I see. You've been at Microsoft for quite a while. Oh, yeah. I've uh, been working on this for quite a while. Depending on who you talk to, it seems to be forever. <laughs> but I think you said Raymond got there before you. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't recall which Jubilee he had. I think it was 25 years. Uh, so he has been around for quite some time. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. And then to our audience, you know, we're going to be talking with him next week. So if you've heard anything about Automated Lab that, that you find interesting or want to send us some feedback or questions for the next episode, um, we'll be covering this again because we're this is such an important topic. We really want to reiterate to our audience that this is worth learning. Spend your time um, because we have a, a lot of listeners who could really benefit from this. And we want to kind of refer back to, you know, kind of have it be assumed knowledge that you know what Automated Lab is going forward. Um, but well, that would be awesome. Definitely. And I think that um, when it comes to learning cloud stuff, a big barrier to that is the whole cloud stuff part of it. Um, but it sounds like with Automated Lab, you can spin up certain things and have an actual kind of environment so you can look at a particular component that you're maybe learning about. Yeah, absolutely. So... Of course, Automated Lab does not automate everything on Azure. We are concentrating mainly on IaaS workloads, infrastructure as a service. So you're basically uh, your basic run-of-the-mill virtual machine. Um, Raymond has implemented also that Automated Lab can deploy app services on Azure, which is quite a nice feature. And of course, once you have your environment up and running there, you can test additional stuff like Azure policy, guest configuration, um, automation, and whatever you fancy, really. Um, we also include some sample scenarios to um, connect an on-premises lab using a VPN gateway. So, of course, not in uh, a rather expensive express route, which I think is out of scope for most learners, but the slightly less expensive VPN gateway. And, of course, Automated Lab configures this automatically. It's very cool. So I guess there's no excuse uh, to not start tinkering. If you already don't have no. that kind of playing with technology, playing with your little server environment, if that's not already part of your life, here's your introduction to it. And you can kind of add this to your tool belt and be able to go back to it um, and not have to kind of keep relearning the whole process. You can save that time to do the good stuff and not get burnt out with the little details. Yeah. Also, if you are, for example, responsible for setting up training environments for workshops like I'm delivering this week, um, Automated Lab also does help a little bit. Um, I remember in the past, for the first two years or so, we did deliver workshops entirely on-premises um, without having any machines in the cloud. So I did have to prepare um, the entire environment beforehand. And with 20 participants, or something like that, it's a hard task, 
you have to basically touch every every uh, computer, activate features, install stuff. And with Automated Lab, this was done in, well, I would estimate about two hours for the whole classroom. And it could have gone even faster if the connectivity were better in the classroom. So I guess there's something in it for everyone. Wow. And you just ran the setup script on each machine? Yeah. It, it was that simple. I just plugged in um, the USB hard drive, started the script, waited, and moved to the next machine. And you mentioned needing the ISOs. So I guess on that USB yeah. hard drive, you had already downloaded the ISOs, and they were in yeah. whatever folder they're expected to be in. Exactly. Um, automated Lab has gotten a lot more flexible over the last years. Um, we use, for example, the PS framework um, by Fred um, to manage our configurations a little better. So nowadays, it's possible to configure most of that stuff, like the location of your additional files. Um, in the past, they had to be placed on the drive root of one of your local drives. Nowadays, they can really be anywhere that is accessible from your current machine. And uh, yeah, awesome. this is something that you can easily prepare. And then you just have your USB stick where if you ever need that lab environment, there you go. Yep, exactly. You can even pre-build the images. So Automated Lab uses differencing disks to spin up machines. Uh, which means that we have a base image and we attach the virtual machine image um, to this base image in, in layman's terms. And um, if you prepare these base images beforehand, you do save a lot of time. So with the base image prepared, spinning up a machine takes about one minute, one and a half minutes. Without, it would take 10 minutes. Um, most of that time goes to creating the base image, so applying the VIM file and creating the VHD um, while very little time is actually spent on creating the machine and configuring it. If you didn't have the base image and you're building 10 machines, would it take 10 minutes per machine or 10 minutes for the first one and then it could use that and apply it to the next nine? Well, that's the beauty of it. Since we are using differencing disk, uh, unless you use 10 different operating systems, it just is um, this one base image that is, is getting created. So typically in my labs, I use one client operating system and one server operating system. So the worst case is that I have to wait 20 minutes. All right. Yeah, this is a very awesome project. Now, I imagine there is a bit of engineering overhead that has gone into this over the years. Um, and, you know, huge shout out to everyone who's contributed in that regard to the project, because uh, it really kind of takes that to create something as, as powerful as automated lab. Um, and in that process, what are some of the features or little bits of code that you found the most interesting or the most proud of? Was there anything that you were kind of doing and you're like, I don't know if we can do this, but then by the end of it, you ended up kind of figuring it out? Uh, to be honest, the biggest thing for me was that Automated Lab is now supported on different Linux operating systems as the, um, as the host. At the moment, it's only for Azure-based labs but I'm currently working on supporting KVM and libvirt on Linux. So uh, basically, this was, was a major challenge for me to implement, and I was very happy when it worked the way I imagined it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds fancy. I'm, having, I'm able to follow along, but um, it's a complex situation you're talking about there. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you have ever tried to use PowerShell on Linux, you know that it, PowerShell works really well. But when it comes to remoting, which unfortunately is something that we spend a huge amount of time on during lab deployments, um, things are a little bit fiddly. And uh, yeah, automating this and getting this to work properly uh, was an adventure. Wow, that, that is impressive, though. Um, now, we mentioned that on the Windows machines that uh, Hyper-V is the host, right? it kind of does all the VM stuff for us. Yep. Do you find there are any common issues that people run into with using Hyper-V that um, quick fix, but maybe a lot of people kind of run into it when they initially set it up? I think networking is often an issue that is overlooked. Uh, people try to <laughs> create labs with all kinds of crazy network configurations, but mostly automated lab configures those, um, those settings in a way that labs should generally work. So if I would have um, one tip, it would be to have a look at our samples and our documentation to get started. Uh, Automated Lab does support this basically the same things that Hyper-V does. So you can create internal and external switches. 
And if you want your lab deployment to connect to an existing network, chances are that you need to connect to an external switch and maybe include a router, a router in your lab to actually do the routing to your on-premises or other environment. This, I think, is a common pitfall. I can speak to my struggles with Hyper-V networking when setting up my own lab environments. So uh, I, I've had my struggles with it. So I can imagine if people try and get all customizey, it could uh, lead them the wrong direction at times. Yeah. I mean, if you look at your lab scripts, it looks as, it sh as if it should work. But uh, unfortunately, uh, some things that Automated Lab does in the background are of, of course, hidden from users because they tend to not dive deep into the modules, which I fully understand. So they don't know what Automated Lab does in the background. And uh, I think we need to improve our documentation here. But um, users can at least try to have a look at um, the sample files that we provide because most of the time, the common scenarios are covered in these samples. If somebody listening to this is reading through the documentation and maybe sees something that they'd like to improve or something that's lacking, um, are you open to issues and pull oh, yeah. requests on that kind of thing? Absolutely. Um, I mean, Raymond and I are pretty much um, blind when it comes to automated lab because we just use it often daily. So um, for us, things are we take things for granted that other users might not. So if you do find the documentation to be lacking, please, of course, create an issue on, on our GitHub repository. We're more than happy to fix this. And we're even happier if you contribute with a pull request. Awesome. Yeah, we try and really reiterate that open source is an open discussion and creating issues to bring things up to say, hey, should we add some more clarification? Should we add another example? Is a great first step. And it sounds like from you, it's encouraged in this project. So we have um, received a lot of um, very good community contributions as well. Not as much as we would have hoped or liked, of course, but there are um, a couple of users who really brought the project forward and we are very thankful for them. And of course, um, people creating great issues that we didn't even think about. So um, new features that we uh, should support, for example, our support for, for a Bastion host on Azure was something that a user recommended that we use, um, as well as just-in-time um, um, uh, uh, sorry, just-in-time access to the virtual machines on Azure. So things that we overlook um, are often brought up in issues, and I think that's great. Actually, just looking through the issues, there's currently 13 open issues, and there's some there's some heavy hitters in there. Andrew, you got oh, yeah. uh, uh, Frederick uh, Weinerman, James Petty's in there. Like you got uh, a who's who of PowerShell in there contributing on this. Yeah, uh, Friedrich uh, brought a couple of very good ideas, uh, and of course his PS framework into the fold. Um, before that, we didn't really have a good configuration management system. Uh, nowadays, it's really easy for users to use setpsf config uh, to configure automated lab as they like, which I use with my customers as well. So you can specify almost any setting, really, that automated lab uh, uses internally. Speaking of Fred and his uh, module, PS framework. It sounds like your module, uh, Automated Lab, is the second module I, I've heard that's like one of those larger modules that takes advantage of PS framework for mm -hmm. certain things like configuration. Um, that's, that's interesting. I think the other one is DBA Tools is another big project that, that yeah. takes advantage of it. Now, when you're taking advantage of that, are you like w writing wrappers around his commands to like save the configuration or how, how are you using it for the configuration? Um, I was a bit lazy, to be honest. We do have one wrapper, uh, GitLab configuration item, which internally calls getpsfconfig. Um, but to set the configuration items, we simply use setpsfconfig. But that might be a good issue as well. Uh, maybe we should provide some um, more automated lab-like uh, function to do that in the future. Yeah, Fred is a, a friend of the podcast. We had him on a few months ago, probably now. Jordan, was it months ago now? What happened? <laughs> He's, he's, it's been it's been a while. So he also I think said PS Framework was his magnum opus. Like that's for someone that has made that many modules for that one to be the one that he's most proud of. It it says something about it. I think. Yeah, uh, rightfully so. It's an awesome module, and we are only using a minuscule amount of that. Um, it's really it's really great. The second one, um, PS Module Development, that he um, uh, published, is a module that I use, for example, for my scaffolding. 
So whenever I create a new module, it's a PS module development module using PS framework. It's really awesome. Uh, yeah, I like that project. Um, I find that Fred really, really, I mean, we talked to a lot of people on this podcast that kind of pushed the limits of PowerShell. Fred is definitely one of them. Yeah. Fred really, it's admirable what he can accomplish with PowerShell. It's, it's a combination of creativity and programmatic excellence. And you get what, what Fred works on. Absolutely. All right. Well, if you don't mind me asking, I've been, uh, I like seeing when, when hobbies coincide with built modules and, uh, in, in your Git, you have your hobby is brewing, but then you also have the auto beer module. Uh, well, is it is a pet project of mine, which I never really took anywhere. Unfortunately, it's not a module. It's a rest API, um, that supports your brewing process. So. In my case, I do have an IoT sensor, um, which regularly in regular intervals um, uh, sends me information about the gravity of the beer, of the wort, so I can gauge whether the beer is um, ready for bottling yet. And I would have liked to have this in a nice web service. There are a couple of web services out there that we can use, but I rather wanted to build my own, have my own visualizations and stuff like that. But unfortunately, time is uh, always running out. It tends to happen when it comes to, to hobbies. You just need to yeah. make it a part of your uh, Microsoft responsibilities to automate your beer brewing process. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> that seems like that would be incredibly valuable because uh, brewing is, is like it's very precise with uh, your measurements and everything. So having a better timeline of it's time to make the next step is it probably make uh, a, a pretty big difference. Yeah, for me it does because most of the time. I'm working on site for customers. So it's always a nice feeling to at least know that um, the final gravity has not yet been reached that I need for the beer to go uh, into bottling. Uh, so it's always uh, gives me some some safety net, I would say. Have you, we mentioned PSConf EU earlier. And uh, sorry, the beer kind of reminds me because we, <laughs> we had high hopes of, of drinking beer with uh, Fred this last year. Um, are you planning on going in the future or have you gone in past years? Yeah, I've gone in past years. Um, I think in 2017 and 2018, where I also did uh, some sessions. Um, 2019, I think I was in at the, the uh, PSConf in Asia. Oh, time flies. So I, I don't really remember what the year was for all the conferences that I visited. But I do plan on visiting PSConf EU as well over the next uh, couple of years. Awesome. I'm hoping to make it out there. I have a, a goal set with some friends that one day we're all going to go there and hang out um, at PS Conference EU. Yep. I mean, it's um, one of the conferences that I do like most. The technical content is really great and there's something for everyone. And of course, we get to meet the PowerShell community. What can be better? <laughs> Nothing can be better, honestly. Um, this community is the best. Yeah, so Andrew and I go to the summit in Seattle, but I am very curious to see what it's like in, in, in other areas, just because the PowerShell stays the same, but maybe the approach is different or just the community. I, I, I want to see uh, the, the, the contrast where it's similar. When, I, I don't know. It's, uh, I would love to go to that one one year. Yeah, I can highly recommend it. Now, You've been in PowerShell for a while. You kind of mentioned getting into Automated Lab 2017, and that's kind of been something you've been working on pretty hard, or, or at least consistently since then, right? Has that mm -hmm. been kind of your main pet project? Yeah. Or not really a pet project. It's a bit more than that. But, you know, your main <laughs> yeah. side side yeah. project, I guess, where you work uh, personal exactly. time on. Yeah, there are new issues uh, coming in regularly, so there's um, work to be done regularly as well. We need to keep up. Um, Azure is changing uh, what it feels like every two weeks. So we need to keep up there as well. It's just a never-ending work, but it is a lot of fun. So you say it's never-ending work. You're busy. You got the job at Microsoft. But um, what happened with the PowerShell Core 6.2 cookbook? You wanted to write <laughs> a book too? <laughs> well, uh, that's a funny story, actually. At PSConf EU, I think 2018, um, a colleague of mine talked to me about writing half of his book. That was my first uh, step into writing something. Uh, so the um, Learn PowerShell Core 
book from the same uh, publisher written by David Desneves uh, and me. That was my first step. And then they approached me uh, if I wouldn't like to write a second book. And we have to say, <laughs> writing something alone is a lot of work. I uh, Now I understand why, why content editors, content writers are so stressed out from time to time. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And um, who is the co-author on that first one, the Learn PowerShell Core one? Uh, that's David Dasnevis. Oh, um, yeah. He also was um, delivering some talks uh, at one of the last PowerShell conferences. I don't know where he's working at the moment, to be honest. I haven't heard from him in quite a while. I haven't talked to him much, but I'm pretty sure he's crushing it. <laughs> the last I saw, yeah, yeah. Um, like, yeah, he's uh, doing some cool stuff. Um, he's at David underscore Das underscore Nevis. Um, I remember him a lot uh, a few years ago in the PowerShell community, just yep. crushing it. It's a, it's a common theme. People that are avid PowerShell users just tend to crush it uh, in their <laughs> careers. Yeah, it's a very good skill to have. And it enables you to learn other languages, pick up other skills easily. I think um, that is one of the main benefits of learning PowerShell. Definitely. For me, I found that it kind of changed the way that I approached problems because rather than just solving the individual problem, I now had the framework and the kind of, I've done it a couple of times now to solve the actual core problem and improve the whole system that the problem exists yeah. in rather than just the kind of individual. So if you have someone who can think systemically, um, typically those people are going to be a little bit good contributors because they can maybe see things uh, through a nice light. So it doesn't surprise me to hear that a lot of them have had success and um, have been sought after. Yeah, that's a common theme. If you are very good um, with PowerShell, with automation in general, um, it's especially if you can, as you as you uh, described, if you can um, fix not only the problem but the root cause, you are uh, well a very sought after resource, a very sought after uh, employee. Yep. Um. Now, with that writing, you said it was a lot. You see why people are stressed uh, to heck and back over writing. Would you write another book at this time? How do you feel about that? <sighs> I don't know if I would write another technical book. The problem is that things change so quickly. I mean, the book is on PowerShell Core 6, so that was eons ago. <laughs> I think the only thing that I would want to write is fiction. So I don't know. In the future, at some point, I might actually try to start doing it. Who knows? Awesome. So I know uh, Don, Don Jones shifted over. He's been writing mm. a lot. I'd, I'd be curious to see, uh, I guess, the, the process goes into that. How different is it? Uh, now, I've always wanted to talk to him about, because I know he Don has written a lot for PowerShell. But yeah. now he's, over, he's writing his uh, fiction and fantasy novels. And I want to know how different that is, like the process that goes into it. If it, does it scratch a different itch or is it just writing is writing? There's a lot I want to know. So once, once you start, let me know. We'll, we'll bring you back on. Yeah. Well, I mean, the process of collecting information is pretty much similar, I would assume. But uh, with a technical book, you don't have things like world building or characters that you need to keep track of. But you do have to tell a story um, to have uh, to, to get people's interest. Yeah. Um, on the topic of writing and Don Jones, there is a nice uh, writing workshop that he published on his YouTube about the way he approaches writing and some kind of cool stuff. It's like a several hour long series. Um, if anyone is interested, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. If you are also a writer or interested in pursuing it further, I personally need to uh, improve my writing skills a bit, I guess, as we all do. Um, but it, it's a great way to communicate, um, I find. But like you said, the kind of with technical content, it does. Unless you're talking about general, like vague stuff, it does tend to uh, go out of date a little bit. My concern, because I think, because uh, Andrew wrote a chapter in a book on his own on, it's like a recap of the summit, I believe. PowerShell conference too. So it's like just a chapter on a topic, kind of like a conference talk, but in book format, basically. And then you have that. So I, like with technical, my concern is, I mean, I, I constantly live in fear that I just have the wrong information. That's just who I am. But past that, like it's something that 
I could be completely right when I wrote it, but with the way tech works, mm. like two months later, it could be completely out of date and doesn't. And and then you get start getting the feedback. It's like, well, you're wrong. It's like, well, I'm wrong now. Like, is that how do you get past that fear? Because I constantly, I constantly think that I'm wrong, but even when I'm right with technology, it's uh, eventually I'll be wrong. So if I put it in print, it's coming around. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's a problem I recently had. So um, we worked on a new design state configuration workshop internally at Microsoft, uh, one of the workshops that we offer to customers then. And um, during that time, after we published it, Azure Guest Configuration got renamed to Azure Machine Configuration. It's just a small thing, but I mean, <laughs> it's now um, an entire module that has to, be, has to be rewritten and checked for consistency if everything still works as it should be. Um, yeah, a lot of fun. I don't want to do this for an entire book. <laughs> right. I think that, that the way that you take the feedback and, uh, you know, improve things is kind of, you know, everyone will be wrong. Things will be changed. But just being able to, you know, take the pull requests and improve the language or do it yourself or whatever, I think that that's what counts. I don't think people are looking to roast you for getting something wrong i think it's there's a certain degree of oh hey this is outdated because technology is constantly changing and uh, certain companies really love renaming products <laughs> certain companies really yeah. really do i don't know who you mean <laughs> i'm sure there's multiple but yeah some come to mind um especially in the powershell context you know this community is so kind and welcoming because we have people of very different backgrounds. We oh, have yeah. people who this is their first language. They're just getting started. And then we have people who maybe it was that for them, or maybe they're a programmer. And now they've taken it to the extremes where they're quite high level engineers. Um, and having a community where everyone kind of coexists and supports each other, uh, it's kind of cool. And I, I think that the language really helps cater to creating an environment like that. Um, yeah. with a good, you know, onboarding experience for beginners and stuff. Yeah, I agree. I was my mind was blown when I was listening to Stefan Gustafsson's talk about performance in PowerShell, and the way he approached it um, from a programmer's perspective was just uh, something to behold. And uh, I mean that highlights your point. PowerShell is really uh, a great language, and the community is awesome. There's someone with literally every background and um, solving problems in their own way. That's really cool. Um, we like to encourage our audience to always share what they learn and share as they learn, you know, kind of blog about it. Um, we noticed that you had a blog. Um, I do too. I tell people to, to write on their blogs while I don't <laughs> update mine quite as often as I could. But hey, we're talking. This is like a spoken blog. This counts yeah. a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, I hope so, because I didn't uh, update mine for quite some time as well. <laughs> it happens. So, well, so but recently, Andrew wrote uh, about secrets management it just didn't go on his own blog it went on to yeah. uh, where he works so he's still right. writing he just <laughs> yeah i'm working on another one too with burnt toast right now but um yeah still uh I, i'm honestly not learning as much in my like off time as i used to earlier in my career i'm i'm probably going to pick up some more security type research just for fun and to keep my skills sharp but i'm kind of in one of those times where i'm just enjoying a couple months of like being done learning new things and just letting it all kind of settle before I dive been back doing in. That, been doing that for 38 years. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. No, that is so the opposite of the truth. Everyone listening, that's the opposite of the truth. Jordan puts on a, not only this podcast, but he does like a live video, uh, a webcast every single week on a new topic. And he has one week to like prepare for it every week. And sometimes there's like, new technology that he'll have to talk about that maybe he has to learn for the first time. So I don't know, Jordan, I'm, I'm calling you out. That might not be true. Well, so <laughs> my, my camera would be that is that's for work. So I'm getting paid oh, during my weekly fair. day to learn that stuff. I don't, I don't go home and do it. Gotcha. That is completely fair. That is completely fair. <laughs> yeah. It's and, and if you go with this uh, last Thursday's webcast, I completely botched it and my code didn't even work. So I tell you what, how many amazing people who we consider rock stars in our mind have been doing presentations in front of us, like a full crowd of people, and nothing works. Um, I've personally seen some super smart, super kind, awesome people have that happen to them. 
It just kind of happens. It's, it's a weird force. The whole demo yeah. thing. I mean, you can probably speak to it having to do things in like workshops and stuff with customers. Um, yeah. I mean, it's always the same. The problem is if you are sitting in front of your screen and you're trying to present, you don't even see the issue. If you would be sitting in the audience, you would spot it immediately. And uh, this is just a harrowing experience, whether it's um, in a workshop or giving a talk uh, and having some demos, um, not to be able to spot the simplest issue. <laughs> it's just mind-blowing. I don't know why this happens. I guess you are in a presenter mode or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I think that's part of the fun. Yeah, it was uh, about 10 minutes after uh, we were no longer live, I fixed it. <laughs> so, so what we were doing is I was trying to automate new user creation in Azure. And instead of using the uh, regular accounts, I was using the, the service accounts where you could uh, give a cert thumbprint and everything. So you don't you could just pass that through with secrets and don't have to authenticate every time. And the permission that I gave it, I gave it uh, restricted access to directory where it needs to be able to read and write. That was it. I missed one permission and nothing worked. Yeah. <laughs> what could have happened, what a side effect of that happening could have been, there, there might have been a couple of people there earlier in their careers who have tried implementing things that they've read about um, and have had complete issues and have totally failed. And they saw potentially someone that they look up to who is in a place that they'd like to be making the having similar issues and uh you know it happens and personally for me i have it happens to me where i'm like oh i just wasted 20 minutes not being able to see something that should have been obvious and i've made this mistake before and i wrote a blog about it i'm glad <laughs> that i remembered now so, uh, luckily with that one i did have uh, a pre-built one that did function so i could showcase it working it's just the one i built live did not go. It, it's been haunting me for a week now. Well, I hope we can cleanse no. the haunting. Nope. That'll, I'll stick with me forever. I don't, I don't let the mistakes go. I still, I still occasionally go back and fret about things that I said in high school. I've, uh, I've done some uh, funny, cringy things in, in my past, but hopefully I don't repeat those. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You have to learn from your mistakes at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that work cultures that talk about mistakes, because um, mistakes aren't always, they're not actually usually just an individual's fault. It's usually like a person in the context of a company that has documentation, that has kind of culture. Um, but yeah, it's, it's important stuff. Yeah. I mean, most of the times um, in my career when I made small and big mistakes, there was the opportunity to learn from them. And this is also what distinguishes a good employer from a bad one. You get the opportunity to learn from your mistake, improve it um, in order not to make it again. That's really something. So uh, for example, I pushed out um, a faulty image to I think hundreds of um, hypervisors running distributed worldwide uh, with a very bad connection. And uh, yeah, I learned from that that I do need to test my infrastructure code in as many different environments as we have <clears throat> in the field, for example, uh, to not make that mistake again. But so, it was a good so, exercise. So that would be kind of an example of something, uh, a time when something went wrong on the job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, <laughs> now, that's actually good segue there. That's one of our three consistent questions <laughs> where <laughs> we've just recently started doing this. <laughs> Where it, uh, we ask, <laughs> can, can we call them consistent now since this is the second time we've done it? Is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can. That's very consistent. That's about as, uh, that's my consistency is about two in a row. Pretty good. So that was question one already answered. Now question two Excellent. would be, uh, with your knowledge now and kind of where you are, you, you've been in IT for quite a while, been at Microsoft for quite a while, um, and been teaching people at different parts of their career for quite a while as well. What is a tip that you would give your younger self or someone else just kind of getting started in IT? Well, to my younger self, I would have said, uh, learn about cloud automation and cloud computing, because this is something that just was completely um, not mentioned during my studies of IT security, during my apprenticeship in 2009. So uh, this is really something for my past self. For people who are starting out now, 
Um, I hope that they do learn about cloud computing because um, this has been around for quite some time now. What I would recommend them doing is invest their time in learning about automation, not only with PowerShell, but also with uh, languages like Python, for example, to automate not only cross clouds and cross platform, um, but also across different applications, really, so that they have a broad skill set that they can apply to really any situation that they might get thrown into. And PowerShell is a great way to start things off. Awesome. Now, speaking of PowerShell, again, great segue. What are three of your favorite PowerShell model modules, not models? Um, and you can add Automated Lab into this list if you'd like to. I won't judge uh, you. No, I'm not that vain. Uh, my three favorite modules in no particular order would be Pesta, because I do use this a lot everywhere uh, with different customers' projects in Automated Lab um, to or basically test anything, really, from infrastructure tests to actual unit tests. It has been a great help over the years. And especially with Pesta 5, it has gotten absolutely awesome. Uh, so great work by Jakub and the community, uh, which I appreciate a lot. And of course, um, the PS framework, as well as PS module development. Those would be my other two favorite modules. I use both of them quite a lot. Um, the PS framework, not as much as I would like, because there's just so much functionality buried uh, in that module. But PS module development is really a good start if you are trying to start your module development um, using simple templates that are easy to customize and that actually work. Um, there are some occasions where you um, implement a template that you see somewhere which doesn't really work in practice. So what good is that? And uh, PS module development actually contains some templates that you can immediately use, for example, with GitHub Actions and um, be successful. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, we might have to have Fred on again to talk about some more modules. <laughs> um, and, and for our audience, PS module development would be like an alternative to, I think we've had an episode on um, Plaster and Stucco. Mm -hmm. So it would be kind of like another approach to doing that sort of thing um, with yep. a couple of differences in the implementation and, and things around it. And yep. I believe that... PS module development came afterwards. So it includes some things that Fred saw um, that he could maybe do differently and would be a little bit more efficient or better in some regards. So awesome. Nothing like talking to our good friend Fred. <laughs> yep. He's a pro. He is. Do you get to work, uh, interact with him at work? Um, I think at one point we actually were in the same team. Um, but of course, he's um, located elsewhere, so we rarely get to meet at customers. Um, I think the only instances where I actually met him in person was at some internal meetup and at conferences. So there you go. Nice. Maybe we'll uh, we could all meet at PS Conference EU <laughs> one year. Yeah. Have a nice. I've, beer. I've been looking to feel inadequate, so that's a good good opportunity. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It has been an honor talking to you today. It's been awesome. I'm so happy that we got to introduce our audience to Automated Lab. Um, that's something that we tweeted about. I posted a little tweet about it. It got a lot of engagement. A lot of our audience said, yes, I use Automated Lab. Yes, awesome. I want to have an episode on it. Um, so thank you so much for that. Uh, if people have listened so far, they haven't used Automated Lab before, what is the next step they should take to kind of get started? Head on over to automatedlab.org and just have a look at one of the sample scripts or the get started guide. This is just three or four steps and you have your first lab up and running. And from there, I think it's smooth sailing. Well, this is important. I think Andrew mentioned we have Ryman coming up soon. So you've got an Apple opportunity to let him know you crushed it. And he's got, he's got to bring his A game. I start <laughs> start uh, talking smack. It's important. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, put the <laughs> yeah, make make this stressful experience of recording a conversation just a little more stressful. Well, you know what? Going in uh, into this podcast, this is the first podcast episode I was ever part of. So it was slightly stressful, um, about the same as giving a presentation. But uh, yeah, you guys uh, made it very much enjoyable. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me and for highlighting Automated Lab. Absolutely. It's, it's a joy to talk about. I'm actually excited to dive into it. I probably 
it's, it's so many things that I learned from the podcast where I feel like I wasted a lot of my career not using the right tool. Yeah, it's always the same, isn't it? You always discover something new and exciting and um, find out that you have been doing things differently or uh, at least more complicated than they should have been. I, I kind of perpetually think of myself like just teaching me five or ten years ago that's kind of like as long as i'm doing that i feel like i am taking the lessons that i've learned and hopefully easing the burden and giving value to other people um because i don't know everybody but i do know myself a few years ago and i could have definitely used a bit of help yeah um well uh, i think that this is our favorite segment of the show you're in for uh, a treat well, or least favorite you know some people might be their least favorite this is the shilling um so friends if you've listened this far if you've heard what we've said drop us a five-star review on apple podcasts or your podcast platform of choice if you're on youtube hi um how are you doing give us a like and a subscribe and feel free to reach out to us on twitter at powershell pod um, you can shoot us a dm or you could even shoot us an email at powershell at pdq.com thank you to everyone who's recently sent us messages it's been really awesome we were just talking about like how I like talking to my younger self. Uh, it's not my younger self, but being able to identify different people in our who are listening and getting value kind of feels more like I know who's listening and I know who who we're talking to here. So I really appreciate everyone who's reached out with your uh, messages and feedback. Jordan, oh, you're anything else you need to add? No, just a just a gentle clap for the uh, what you've done there. Gentle clap and a like, maybe a five star. You know, whatever they got to do. <laughs> I, I would give you five stars, but I think people would frown on that. It's like, well, you're not really an objective. Uh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <for this. laughs> yeah, just use your real name and pretend in the message. Like, don't act like it's you, but like still leave your actual full name in there. It's like, I would give it five stars, but Andrew's okay. Jordan is six stars, at least. That's <laughs> Signed, J-Dog so, Hambone. <laughs> no one will be able to solve that. All right, well, thank you again for coming in, Jan. This was fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plough. You don't want to be messing with them, guys. They are bad news. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com.